It's getting hot in here. Are you nervous? What? <laughs> Am I nervous? It's you who's in the hot seat, my friend. Oh, yes. Sorry. <laughs> hell, he's got brave on the run. Finally. A few hours ago, you were giving chai for the Fonwalas. And now you're richer than they will ever be. Walla player. Ladies and gentlemen, Walla player! Hello and welcome to Brits One Flicks. I'm your host, Graham, and with me as always is Brian Lomax from Brian Lomax Movie Talk. And this is your monthly movie podcast where we discuss, dissect, and deliberate a specific movie's qualities or lack thereof. And this month we are going to be talking about Slumdog Millionaire, directed by Danny Boyle. And this is our second Danny Boyle movie that we've done so far. So, Brian, why was this on uh, your list of choices this month? First off, I think you've got to pronounce that right. It's Slumdog Millionaire! (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I love the way he says that in the film. Yeah. (laughs) Millionaire! Yeah. Um, (laughs) I I bought this on Blu-ray not so long ago. I've been meaning to check it out again for for some time uh, because I've been working my way through the best picture winners uh, on, on DVD, Blu-ray, trying to review them all on my channel. So I think may, maybe a month after this episode has been up on iTunes, I will probably do a, a quick review of it on my channel as well. But uh, yeah, here we can get get into it in, in some real depth. Uh, so I just thought, yeah, you know, uh, before doing that on my channel, let's, let's, let's have a proper discussion about it, uh, get my feelings kind of straight with mm-hmm. with regards to it because because I, I find often as well that when us two chat about something um it it, it process helps me process my thoughts a bit better i think uh but yeah you know best picture winner danny boyle really good director so se- second danny boyle film actually that we've discussed in mm-hmm. uh on brits and flicks third if you count the fact that we did both train spotting one and two yeah. for our Train spotting to uh, podcast, well, no, uh, train spotting podcast. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, Slumdog Millionaire. Is it as good as the Oscar hype claims? That's that's the question. So, have you seen it much? Is this is this a, a first time since it came out? Type of watch for you? Oh no, I I I saw it at the cinema and then I bought it on DVD. I I, I watched it on DVD a couple of times, and then I then I hadn't seen it for. Maybe about four years. It's probably been about four years since I last saw it. Uh, so yeah, it's yeah, it's been a while. I I I I think it was the it was the whole Dark Knight kind of thing that right yeah yeah you know this. Uh, I I think this was the same year. I think this was the same year that Dark Knight should have been nominated but wasn't. And yeah, this this picked up Best Picture. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I I saw it in the cinema and I picked it up in Blu-ray as well and I think I watched it once at home and then just kind of put it away in the shelves and every now and again I would look at it and go, oh yeah, Slumdog Malina. Next. And pick another movie. You know, not out of malice or, or that, I just mm-hmm. kind of... I believe the movie warps a little bit in your head uh, after yeah. a period of time. You, you don't realise the kind of nuances and the, the sort of storytelling 
that's within it because you kind of stuck on the happy ending so so much you know the feel good factor of the the ending that just takes away <laughs> the the shine from the rest of the movie the the, the real meat and bones that's there. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was was looking forward to getting back into this one. Um, so yeah, do, do you have a, a short synopsis for us, Brian? I do indeed. Fantastic. Jamal Malik is an 18-year-old orphan from the slums of Mumbai who has reached the final question as a contestant on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Finding it hard to believe that this slumdog could have answered all the questions that he has without cheating, showrunner Anil Kapoor has Jamal arrested. But as the police torture and question their suspect, Jamal begins to unravel a highly elaborate backstory that details how he came to know the answer to each question. This is a story which includes a brother turned gangster and killer in need of redemption. It also involves a woman loved and lost. Could it be that these trials and hardships were all part of his destiny? A path that has led him to this moment, in which a slumdog might become a millionaire and a hopeless romantic might finally be reunited with his one true love. Yeah, that kind of wraps everything up. That's fantastic. So uh, let's get stuck into some of the things I want to talk about. And the main fact I had remembered about this movie was the kind of love story aspect. I forgot a little bit about the brothers. I remembered most about Jamal and Latika and, you know, obviously the end of it when they come together. What I forgot was the offering of the kids, the beating (laughs) of the kids, the (laughs) mutilation of the kids, the possible uh, almost abuse that they suffer daily. Um, the, the religious war that see, I don't I know if it's religious war, but something breaks out in the middle when his mother dies, mm-hmm. and you're like, yeah. wow! And it's it just all these things all the way through it. You know that his brother turning against him and taking his woman, these constant setbacks. This guy gets put through the ringer, you know, mm-hmm. and and that that ending kind of detracts from the fact that this guy's life has just been horrific. Yeah, I, I see. I'm the opposite to you, because I went into the film at the cinema under the impression that this was the feel-good film of the decade, as it proclaimed on the posters. Um, you know, I, I pick up your Blu-ray copy. I'm pretty sure that quote is on the cover. The feel-good film of the decade. <laughs> so that's what I went in wanting to see. And I came out thinking, (laughs) other than the last five minutes in which finally some goodness comes into this guy's life, Mm -hmm. this film is anything but feel good. You know, we we get to see the reality of what it is like to be an orphaned child living on the streets of India, in which you are prey to some of the worst that mankind has to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's pretty horrific, it must be said. I mean, and, and that's just, that's the villains, even the police themselves, you know. This this guy gets arrested for supposedly, you know, cheating. Who wants to be the millionaire? That's, that's the belief. That's why they arrest him. 
And how do they go about questioning him? They they do essentially what they did to Martin Riggs in Lethal Weapon. They mm. hook him up to some electrodes and run volts through him. Uh, you know, it, it's like, yeah, really harsh, really quite violent. I, I mean, this the film is rated a 15 as well, mm. you know? Let's not forget. Um, this, this ain't like a family-friendly PG thing. So, yeah, uh... Mm. Quite yeah. a dark tale. You're pretty much waiting in the waterboarding to come out at some point. You know, yeah. Torture scene. <laughs> um, and it's even even later on in the movie when you've got the host of the, of the TV show trying to sabotage him because mm. he feels like he's just stealing a little bit of his limelight. It's just literally everybody that can possibly push this guy about does so or attempts mm. to do so. Um, but I think one of the marvels of the movie is its editing and the way that the story is told through these flashbacks and, and, and it's intercut with modern day with him telling his story or with him in the millionaire chair. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a fantastic tool that really allows you to do these flashbacks without say, pushing it into your face. You know, you get the question, mm-hmm. you're wondering how they got the answer, it's showing you a bit of his past and where you're thinking, like, how's it going to show me the answer to this? But then telling you more of his tale of how he was brought up in the slums and I thought it's it's marvellously put together mm. it becomes like an odyssey really um, it really does and, yeah uh, like I, I recently watched the film Lion um, which to me was an incredible film really incredible film um, also starring Dev Patel but yeah. also, also kind of having this I mean, I mean, it does it in a more linear way. So, whereas this has the flashbacks and keeps jumping past to present, Lion does everything from the past and then kind of does... So, the first half of the movie is the past, the second half is the present. Um, so, so, there are two ways you could do this. You know, you could have... You could have done this in a very linear way, but the, the choice to, to... to do this very episodically, it, it does kind of... It, it reveals things in, in a different way, I think, and mm-hmm. um, it, it just it just makes it feel more like an odyssey um, in which you can dip in and out of this man's life mm-hmm. um, and and slowly reveal pieces from it. Um, but I, I think the way that it's shot, just constantly with these handheld cameras, um, yeah. it gives it a real sense of urgency. It kind of puts you into our main character's shoes so you feel like you're looking at what at what he's looking at you're seeing what he's seeing um obviously i think i think a lot of that was budgetary constraints as well you know but but it, it certainly adds to to the, the yeah. to the feeling of the film the feeling of this character of what yeah. he's going through um, and i think if you'd have shot this in a more traditional way i mean to, to be honest, I, I watched some of the special features, actually, and uh, Danny Boyle said that himself. They did actually try to shoot this when they started in a more traditional manner. They had a lot of locked-off cameras, you know, very still shots, mm-hmm. and Boyle just said, this isn't working. It, does, it just doesn't feel right. It's, it's, not, it's not got the urgency that we need. So from then on, he just went handheld, and it, mm-hmm. and it works. It really does work that way. Yeah, it gives you the kind of um, feeling of being on the ground and amongst these people and amongst the, the various sort of, textures and, and towns that he's working his way through. 
it gives you that sort of aspect as well. And it takes you down a lot to the kids' levels when you've got them as, as the youngsters, you know, looking up at a lot of the adults moving quickly through the crowds. It's, it's very energetic and it's pushing the, the story along as well with a sense of urgency, like you said. Um, speaking of the kids, we, we sort of get Jamal at, at three main ages, I think it is. Mm, yeah. Um, and you, you do have, all the way through this, his, his relationship with Latika, and that's what it's building up to, this love story. But I think the far more interesting relationship of this movie is the relationship between Salim and Jamal, the brothers. Yeah. And yeah. how they're kind of antagonistic against each other from very young. You know, you have uh, Salim locking Jamal uh, in the toilet, and we'll be generous mm. and call it a toilet. Um, and, and, and then you have Salim stealing the, the, the signed autograph picture to sell it all the way up there to steal and Latika off them. And just as much as they are brothers and they're together, they're constantly bickering, they're constantly fighting about things. You know, Salim's very power driven. He wants to control Jamal, even to the point where he won't let Latika come into the train cart to get a little bit mm. dry. You know, he's for no reason other than just to, to upset his power. Over his brother, yeah. Um, it, it, I mean, the 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 the, the conceit or the, the the story there of you know brothers and the rivalry, it's 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 an old one. You know, it's it's been told as old as stories have been told. You you go back to the the first story of brothers in the Bible, Cain and Abel mm-hmm. were at each other's throats. Later on, you've got Jacob and Esau. You know, one clinging to the foot of the other, even as they're being born. It's something that is kind of filtered down through literature throughout the ages, which is this this idea that, you know, can, can brothers... Can, can they... Uh, can they get through life, really, without without being at each other's throats, without seeing each other as competition, either for their parents' affection or for the affection of... Uh, of a girl, a woman, or you know, of of uh, whatever mentor might be in their life, and it, it, like you say, I I do think it's the most interesting aspect of the film, um, and 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 what what I will say as well is that these kids that they get to play the the younger versions of them, the the the, the child versions of these characters, these kids were actually plucked from the slums of Mumbai. You know, they they went they went on location. They mm-hmm. they 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 tried to search all over the globe for actors that would that would suit these parts, and they just couldn't find what they were looking for. And in the end, they actually took these street kids. You know, kids that knew what it is, know what it is to live in these slums. Um, and I I I do feel like the performances we get from these kids reeks of authenticism you know they're they're very authentic you Mm. you you buy completely wholeheartedly that these kids are the characters they are playing Mm. and uh, like you said i think they're terrific as well i didn't know that it's an interesting tip but um you have the rising sort of ascension of salim through the story has um ability to do what he deems is necessary to survive, um, juxtaposed with Jamal's just going with the hair, doing what he needs to to get by as well, but in a, a sort of less volatile manner. You've got Salim who 
I think he sort of starts off and he takes off. Uh, is it Mumma or Mumba? I can't remember who it is. When he kills him, that's a, a yeah. defining point for him. Yeah. And that's when he moves into the city gangster world. Who you can kind of see that he's always kind of leaned towards that, and he starts mm. to become rich and powerful and moves up. Whereas Jamal becomes sort of like the lowest, uh, the sort of working class. You know, the chaiwala, the the person that makes the tea. Mm. Yeah. Um, but in the end of the storyline, you have. Salim dying in a bathtub full of money, which is, yeah. is really symbolic himself. And then you have Jamal, who is not even interested in this money that he's won. He pretty much couldn't care less about it. You know, and it's just one person driven towards all this money ends up dying. One person who doesn't care about the money ends up with all the money. It's one of these fairy tales of the aspects of the story. Well, it's it's. <laughs> It's actually a very biblical aspect of the story. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, it's I, I think about, you know, the, he, he who wishes to keep his life will lose it. He who is willing to lose the life will, will you know, will gain, will, will keep it. it, it it's, it's, uh, it, it is, a, there are, there are a lot of kind of religious elements, I think, to this film, the themes and whatnot. Um, and, and again, going back to that whole Cain and Abel, Aspect you've got Salim here, who is who is the brother who spills blood, you know he's the one who kills, and th- there's a, there's only one there's only one way out, one outcome for him, and that's and that's death, you know mm. he he, he spills he spilt blood, so his blood will be spilt. Um, the question is, can he redeem himself before he gets to the end? And I think. Th- there's there's a definite acknowledgement in his final moments that actually he chose the wrong path, and that his brother chose the right path, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's kind of his redemption. This this acknowledgement that actually he he, he gives um, Latika to his brother. He, mm-hmm. he you know he gives her the phone. He helps her escape, and he knows that if if uh, if if his brother is going to phone a friend, so to speak, during during his time on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, that she's going to end up getting called. So he that that's his redemption, giving back to him his greatest love and and yeah, and freeing her. But um, it's 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 a really good moment, I think, a really touching moment. Um, but it's just it's it's also filled with with a sense of tragedy, the fact that he he only realizes this now. You know, in the moment, his his final moments. Yeah, um, but then you do have that realization as well. If it didn't get to that that moment, he may never have realized it. If he didn't, you know, get to the the, the sort of precipice of of his his life, you know, he may not have reached that epiphany. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, like, watch this movie. If the movie had a failing, I would say it's it's Latika. Because as a character. She's pulled and, and pushed and, and dominated and doesn't really have that sense of independence or will. It, it seems mm. to be that she's willing just to go with the flow. This is her life. She's resigned to that. And, and she almost seems less of a fully formed character than I would say Jamal or Salima. I'd, I'd agree with you to an extent, but... I also think there's strength there. I mean, 
you look at the moment in which she essentially gives herself to Salim. She does that to protect... Um, Jamal. What Jamal, yeah. She, she does that to protect Jamal. Now, she doesn't have to do that. She makes that choice. And, you know, I... I I, I, I don't like the idea that we have to kind of essentially equate any strong decision that a woman makes w- with with sex as well that, that you know that the, the only the only only decision that she has so to speak the only choice that she has is is essentially who is she going to take to bed um, but but she she's living in 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 a world in which you know, Men, 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 men are over women. It, you know, I mean, she's not. She's not in a Western world. She's in a very poverty-stricken part of India, um, and she's she's without home. She's without parents. It's it's yeah. This happens. You know, it's not like it's not like this doesn't happen. Is what I'm saying. You know, if, yeah. if you read about if you read about people who've been trafficked. If you read about women who have been trafficked, she fits that bill. That's that's sad to say, but mm. yeah. So I, I don't have as much of a problem with it as say, a, a, you know, a, a Western film like. See now I'm struggling to think of one, but I, I think about the trailer recently for Atomic Blonde. You know, in which we have to have this, we, we get this strong woman, but. But yet we have to focus on a lot of the sexual aspects of her character. In that yeah. trailer, we see her, you know, getting it on with this other woman, and it's like you don't need that. You don't. Why? Why is it you can sell a film to us like John Wick, in which he just gets to kick ass and be be a real badass, and that's enough to make us want to go and see it? Yet when we get the female version of that. You really have to amp up the sexual aspects of that character. To me, I find something. I find that kind of film mm. more problematic than something like this, in which, in which this is a this is very much a reality for many women in the world, who, who come out of poverty and have no choice, uh, but you know, primarily because they've been taken. To be honest, but rarely have the choice to go anywhere but into the. Well, slavery. There's no. There's no other word for it. Slavery of of men who dominate them. So, yeah. Um, I mean, go back to say, like Atomic Blonde. It's you can tell that movie's shot through the male gaze. You know, it's all yeah. about sexualizing the women. And, and to bring another movie that came out recently, you have Wonder Woman, who is a mm-hmm. very strong woman, who is an attractive woman, but it's never focusing on the way. Uh, it would be typically shot, you know, it's always focused on the character at that point, and yeah. you've got a feeling with Atomic Blonde is not going to have that, it's going to be like John Wick sexualised. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you can be bringing around a little bit on the character of Latika, she does make that bold choice a couple of times to escape, she tries yeah. her best, um, one time she's scattered for doing it, and the next time she gets away. So she does actually have that moment of courage to attempt to try and achieve something better for herself. Yeah, yeah. and a lot of the choices she makes, like I say, uh, are, are made out of a desire to protect Jamal. So, 
without him realizing it there are, there are a few times in this film where she's actually his knight in shining armor so to speak um it's just it's just that yeah it, it doesn't look that way because of the well the situation she's in uh, what about Dev Patel's performance in this? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking particularly when he's being questioned by the, the police or when he's on the show. He wants to be a millionaire. <laughs> yeah, I, I think... I mean, if I'm not mistaken, this was his first performance. I think, was he plucked for this? Um, it, it was in Skins before that. Okay, so that's yeah, that's a show I'd never seen, but I I don't remember any other movies before this. But mm. y you can tell he's he's definitely new to the game. Um, I I think that works. You know, they yeah. they've cast this. He's got a certain sense of naivety about him that works for the character. There's a lot of time during this film that he kind of looks like a deer caught in the headlights. You know, I think think about him sat on that chair in the studio when he's been asked these questions and and yeah he just he looks like he's lost basically but but that works you know yeah. uh, how much of that is performance how much of that is uh you know just being dazzled by the fact that he's in a feature film being directed by Danny Boyle I don't know but it either way it works I will say you know going back to the film I mentioned earlier Lion he really really moved me in that film um i i i look I, I looked at dev patel in that film and i thought you know what this is this is it this is where dev patel has truly become an actor that that i feel you know has a draw would would draw me to i i if you, if he's in a film now, I would want to go and see that because after his performance in Lion, yeah, this this guy is one to watch. Um, but on this, on the strength of this, I I think that I think that the kids, the younger ones, put in as equally good a performance, if not better. But uh, but yeah, like I said, I, I mean, I don't. I'm sounding like I'm 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 kind of being a bit down on Dev Patel here and I don't I don't want people to think that that's the case because it isn't you know for, for whatever reason he was cast it was the right choice he suits the part he does what's needed um, so yeah uh, no, I, I can't remember the name of the actor that plays um, Chris Tarrant um, <laughs> it's an yeah. Anil Kapoor Yes, I, I mean, I think this guy's terrific. <laughs> Absolutely terrific. Yeah. A millionaire! <laughs> he's he's yeah. big, he's, he's larger than life, he's working the crowd, he's, he's also very duplicitous because he's very mocking of Jamal when he comes on the show. Mm. Um, and, I, and I don't think that's gentle ribbing. I think that's no. he, he's, he's, he's having a dig at him and... and doesn't expect very much of him. He's underestimating him, is what he does. Mm. And and the bigger that he gets, the further in the competition, the, the more sort of underhanded he becomes in trying to deviate Jamal from his destiny, as it seems. Mm. Yeah, now, it is written. It is written, yes. <laughs> now, taking the, the point where they have the conversation in the bathroom and he writes B on the window, or in the mirror. 
Why do you think Jamal chooses D? I I just think he sees through him. Yeah. I, I I think he we, he weighs up the options and he doesn't trust this guy. Um, uh, he uh, goes with his gut. He goes with his instinct. Yeah. See, I, that's what I initially thought. And you know, I was thinking about it, and I'm wondering if he has all through his life, almost everybody's tried to take advantage of him. Almost everybody's mm. told him tales and that, that, so he's instantly became, you know, very, very unsure of what people are telling him, and, and has jumped on the opposite answer something because somebody's pushing this answer on him. Mm. I'm just wondering if he's say, slightly distrustful of everybody. Well, I, I, I think that def- definitely feeds into the plot because this, you know, the, the whole thing about revisiting his past is that it's showing us that, well. Like we just said, it is written. You know that this, the film opens with these, with these selections done in, done in the style of the questions on who wants to be a millionaire. So, you know, it says, it sets it up. It says that the guy's on his last question. You know, one question away from the twenty million rupees. How did he do it? Did he cheat? Mm. Was it luck? Um, and then the fi- uh, the final option is what was it written? And, you know, and then we end the film going back to that and then at the end it just says it is written mm-hmm. that is clear that's clearly where the film is trying to take us it's saying that actually and and again this this is a this is a religious principle i i i watch i i've just i've just been to see the shack now um it's 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 a definite christian film if you if you don't like christian movies you won't like it uh, although saying that, I don't like Christian movies, and I, and I actually did like it. Um, it's 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 the first one in a long while that I've actually actually enjoyed. But the whole concept of that is that actually, while while God doesn't create the bad, He can bring good out of it. So the the conceit of this film is precisely that, which is that actually. Jamal has lived this life of trials and tribulations, but he has always stayed true. He has always stayed on the right path. He's never he's never wavered from his sense of morality. Mm. And as such, it ends with with destiny, with with the path that God has laid out for him. If, you know, like you don't have to call it God if you don't want. Just just whatever it is, destiny. You know, has laid out this path which 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 takes all of those bad things throughout his life and turns them to good. So we have all these questions that relate to different aspects of his life, aspects that are actually painful for him, that caused him trouble, but which are now allowing him to make his way towards that that 20 million rupees, and more importantly, to Latika. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you know, it. it I, I, I wouldn't discount the theory that actually he did discount the answer that um that Anil Kapoor's character gave to him because he's been conditioned that way mm-hmm. so yeah all that bad stuff has conditioned him that way it, it's it's conditioned him towards his destiny um that's that's certainly the way I would read it anyway yeah um, let's have a look at Danny Boyle and his direction of this movie as well. You know, it's got 
very much a lot of the boilisms that he has. It's it's digital. It's uh, got this orange hue to it. It's very fast paced. There's lots of crazy angles that he's still seems to love to do. It is a very kinetic film making, but it does have a lot of heart in it. Um, and it just again we we said this in the train spot movie. Danny Boyle can just seem to jump from genre to genre, and he just fits perfectly. Yeah, I I I would just like to give a mention as well to uh, Lovely in Tandon because wh- while Danny Boyle is um, credited as you know as 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 the director of this film, Lovely in Tandon was kind of a, well essentially his co-director on this. She she did a a lot of work in in uh, in the shoot over in Mumbai and whatnot. You know, she kind of uh, did a lot of the translations and things like that. So, I mean, if you look at IMDb, she is actually credited as as a director on the film. You know, it, you, you look at di- the director credit, it says Danny Boyle and Lovely in Tandon. So, yeah, I you know, I, I, I think you don't make a film like this without that kind of help you know when you're when you're going into a completely different culture you know you think about Ang Lee when he first came over to to America and made made some of those English language films you need you need that help but film is a collaborative process is all I'm saying with with that I guess um but yeah I from from a director the directorial standpoint like I've you know I've already touched on the the whole uh, roving cameras, you know, the handheld cameras and stuff. Yeah. Um, but also the the, the colour palette. Um, you, you look at this, this, the lighting in this. It's it's very dark, mm-hmm. but it's also very colourful at the same time. So it kind of taps into one the vibrancy of the city that we're in. But also the 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 seedy underbelly of it as well. You know, there's a lot of shadows, a lot of blacks in amongst all this colour. Um, so yeah, re- real cracking job on the lighting, I think. Okay, so let's get to this elephant in the room: the Oscar for the best picture. Mm. Yeah. So, um, well, I'll let you know what the the nominations were for that year. They were um, the Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Frost, Nixon, Milk, mm. and the Reader. Okay, well, if if we're talking about those choices, mm-hmm. um, the only one I haven't seen is Milk. But from the other three choices, I would say that Slumdog Millionaire deserved the win. Yeah. Do, you, do you want to know some other big movies that came out that year? It was two thousand nine. Well, well, it was two thousand and eight, so uh, it was. Uh, it's films that were released in two thousand and eight, but for the two thousand and nine Oscars. So, but basically, the Dark Knight. Yeah. You know, um, the Dark Knight did not pick up a nomination for best film. It did not pick up a nomination for best director. It did win an Oscar for Heath Ledger for best supporting actor. But mm-hmm. yeah, so those those two snubs, and I'm sorry, they are they are snubs. D- Dark Knight has been in the top ten 
on on IMDb. You know, what, what like. I don't look at the IMDb as the holy grail, you know. I, I don't. It's, it's not a bible in any by any stretch of the imagination. But there is value in it, you know. Pe people do use it. The masses do use it. So you can, you know, for, for for every for every idiot on there that gives the film ten out of ten before they've even seen it, just because they want to bump it up, there's another idiot who will give the, the same film a one out of ten. So I I I feel like it averages itself out. Mm. I think it is a good indicator of what people feel in general about movies. Yeah, um, I mean, and that, that did have a lasting effect because I think after that, the Academy changed the rules to allow it was up to 10 in the best picture. Yes. And they yes. Said, so, so there'd be more yeah. populist movies included in that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was absolutely a result of The Dark Knight because, quite frankly, the, yeah, all of those films you just mentioned, good films, but for me, they they don't even come close to how good the Dark Knight is. Um, so, uh, other yeah. than that, there was nothing else really much out that year. You could maybe say Wally, um, at a push, uh, Gran Torino. Let the right one in was out that year. Oh, Matt, see right there. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, it was oh no, I think that was two thousand and nine. No, never mind. Um, I was thinking Gran Torino, but I I think that was two thousand and nine. Yeah, I just um, said that. Well, did you oh, did you say Gran Torino? <laughs> I did, yes. Did you? Oh, sorry, I completely blanked out. So that was two thousand and eight. Yes. Right. Well, that's that's my second favorite film of two thousand and eight after The Dark Knight. So yeah, and, that, and that it, it, not no Crystal Skull in there or Twilight for you, Brian. No? <laughs> <laughs> Mamma Mia. <laughs> yeah. Here we go no, again. Just, yeah, for, for, for me, the, the three top films of that year were The Dark Knight, Gran Torino, and Let the Right One In. Um, the fact that n none of those films were nominated to me just. It, it sucks balls, quite frankly. Mm. Really does. Yeah, very eloquently said. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about with Slumdog Millionaire? Uh, yes, I absolutely would. Um, the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Because I, I, I bought this soundtrack a while back, quite a few years ago, actually, and it still gets played in my car. I, mm. I regularly dig it out because it's such a good soundtrack. You know, the the uh, the original music that was composed by A.R. Rahman, um, so much energy, so much vibrancy in it. Re like, it just you just want to dance, you know, and and it's often put to these these images of of, of things that are happening, mm -hmm. that are actually quite, you know, you, you see these kids running from these guys who are trying to burn their eyeballs out. Yeah. You know, and yet you've got this really vibrant, energetic piece of music as as they're being chased, but it works. It works really well. Um, and then you've got the songs like from from MIA, um, you know, Paper Planes, and mm -hmm. really great songs. You know, I, I bought I bought an album by MIA just based purely on the strength of that one song. Uh, so yeah, really great soundtrack. Um, if 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 you love a good Film score, it, it it deserves to be in your collection. 
Yeah, 100% agreed. And you, you see that all the way through Boyle's filmography, to be fair. He has a, mm. a, a knack for, well, just making everything work to... Um, what about can the, I just the can I just say just say as well I, I've just picked up on this in Bruges in Bruges was two thousand and eight <laughs> right and that that man I I'm telling you I I would I would have completely cancelled out every film that was nominated that year for best picture and I would have come up with a completely different selection and Wally yeah. Wally would have been a part of that. My my five nominees would have been Wally, In Bruges, Gran Torino, Let the Right One In, and The Dark Knight. And The Dark Knight would have won. Um, there you go. Well, on that bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about the um, the final dance sequence in the movie? It just oh, runs over the credits. Love it. Love it. They look as if they're having really. so much fun just doing yeah. it. Yeah. It's pure Bollywood, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. terrific. Yeah, and, and, and think, yeah, you know, some some mad skills as well from Dev Patel with his mm-hmm. dancing there. So. And, and I think that's where you get. I mean, that comes up, and you're not leaving your seat. You're watching that, and then you're leaving the mm-hmm. cinema on a high. Yeah. You're forgetting all about the child abuse that you've just saw, but you're leaving the cinema <laughs> on a high. But the, but that that's the thing. It's like again, you know, people say this is a feel good movie, but is that? You're talking like two moments essentially at the end. Well, well, three. Okay, so he he wins the, he wins the twenty million rupees, mm-hmm. which he, he doesn't gets care with, about. which he doesn't really care about. He gets with Latika, which is you know the big thing, and that you know that's a really nice moment. Something I do want to talk about actually in a bit. And then you get the dance sequence at the end, which isn't even part of the narrative. It's not no. actually part of the story. You could take that out. And it wouldn't matter to the to the overall film, but because it's such a good, kind of upbeat, joyful moment, you leave the film thinking you've just seen a really great feel good film, and that's that's the deception that the film plays. I mean, you said yourself before when when you were thinking back to the film, you had this skewed memory of how it was this feel good film, and it's because of those last five minutes, you know, and then yeah. you come back to it and you realise what the hell this this thing. This ain't a feel-good movie. And then, you again, you get to those last five minutes again and you're like, oh, I feel so good. And it's like you almost instantly forget all of the hell that you've just watched this guy go through. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, yeah, go, going back to when he does eventually get with Latika, a really brilliant moment. And this, this again, ties in with Danny Boyle's direction. You know, if you want to talk about his direction, and also the script, I must say, by Simon Beaufort. You know, this is this is the guy who wrote the full Monty. He wrote the script for this. H- how much of, you know, the, the the route that the film takes is down to Boyle's direction and Beaufort's mm. script? I don't know because I, I've not actually read the script. But one would assume that an element such as this was written. I don't know, but when. Jamal gets back with Latika. She 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 kind of hides her face from him. You know, yeah. she's got this big scar down her face, and there's an absolutely beautiful moment when he kisses her scar, and mm. it's not just the fact that he kisses the scar, but it's what Danny Boyle does with that. He he shows us 
the images of things that have happened in their life, but in reverse. So the footage starts to reverse. And so through that visual, symbolically, he shows us that in that one kiss, particularly because of where he kisses her, it's like it erases everything mm-hmm. yeah. for her. And it, and it is just, it's just a brilliant use of doing that whole rewinding the footage, you mm-hmm. know? Um, instantly, in that moment, you, you feel what she is feeling. In that kiss, it, it erases all that horrible stuff that she's just been through. Um, and, yeah, so, you know, I don't know if that was scripted like that. If it was, then... Blimey, props to Simon Beaufort for that decision in the script-making process. If that was purely a choice that Boyle made in the edit, props to Danny Boyle for that because, yeah, I, I think it was because of seeing that footage in reverse that it really it really lent, lent weight to that moment. So, Yeah, I, I think it was probably something that was found in the edit, to be mm. fair. Yeah, but it's a, like you said... It's an absolutely brilliant touch. Um, mm. Okay, so Slim Dog Millionaire, uh, who's going to wrap this thing up first? I can go on. I'll I'll, I'll wrap it up. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> look. I, I really like the film. You know, I, I'm not going to deny that I do feel a bit sour about it, just because, in my mind, Dark Knight should have won. But the, it it wasn't even nominated, and that it kills me. It really, it it makes me mad. Um, but on top of that, like I say, you know, I I can think of another four films that I rather would have nominated over this. But this would have made my top ten of the year, you know. So before people think that I'm, I'm you know I'm I'm just bashing it because. Big Dark Knight. Uh, I, I do like it. It is a good vi- a film. It's a, it's a very good story, very well told, beautifully directed. But for me, it's not even Danny Boyle's best film. Um, mm. It 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 it, I, it does have a little bit of a uh, kind of TV movie quality about it. But I think that mainly boils down to the fact that we're watching who wants to be a millionaire you know so i i we see that every week on tv only with chris tarrant um so that is a slightly unfair kind of critique to throw at the film but it's still inescapable um it's a very good film i'll give it four out of five um and, and and i say that knowing full well that I I don't think I've even criticised it during yeah. our review, and yeah. even when you did criticise it, you know, you, you I I came to its defence, and I, yeah. you know, so so that being said, I I don't know why I can't give this five stars. I think it's just overall, I'm I'm just not, I'm I'm just not feeling it. You know, like mm-hmm. I think the. I think it's just that those really happy moments, those hopeful moments that come at the end in those last five minutes, it almost feels a little bit too late. Um, I'm, I'm happy to get them, but it's like, as Mark Kermode would put it, 
there's a lot of Shawshank before you get to the redemption. Mm. Um, and, and, and for me, it's, it's, it's pretty tough going. It's pretty heavy going. Um, and I, I think I would have liked a little bit more of, of the lighter moments in, instead, of, uh, instead of so much of the, of the heavy stuff. Um, mm. but, but like I say, still a really very good film. Four out of five. Um, very much what you said uh, although I do when I think back to the movie I think back to some of the more fun aspects of it like when Salim locks his brother in the bathroom and there's only one way out if he's going to see his movie star heel and that is oh, covered in shit disgusting funny. <laughs> but if he didn't get covered in shit he wouldn't have got to meet his hero because nobody would have let him through the crowd. Everybody kind of parts the ways to let this little boy get through without smearing him. Yeah. You know, so that's how he achieves it. It's, it's a fun moment. It's a fun aspect. I liked when Salim and Jamal are having these fun moments when they're out about. They're few and far between. Just, I mean, and they always lead to something a little bit more sinister. Really, he gets that autograph. Salim sells it. You know, they go to this place where they're getting all this food and they're treated really well. But they have to beg, and they're about to get maimed. You know, mm. <laughs> it does have these, <laughs> yeah. these things. It's, but I mean, it, it really does put the character through the ringer, and I really did like at the end. I, I liked Jamal. I really did like him. I wanted him to to win, to mm. succeed, to get the Atlantica. And again, and I, I keep saying this every time we, we seem to do movies that this is one I, I want to watch again. At another point, you know, it's, it's mm. it was terrific. I, I did. It's, it's hard to say I like this because it, all the bad things that happened, but I do genuinely like it. When I was thinking about a score for it, what was going on in my head was, like, if I'm basing it against other movies, it gets a high score. If I'm basing it against other Danny Boyle movies, I don't think I can give it as high a score because you ask me what I want to watch for Danny Boyle's filmography, I'm going to choose Sunshine, Transporting, Transporting 2 before this so, very much like yourself, I think I'd probably give it a 4 out of 5. But, I do think it's a very good movie. And I do think there's, there's not a lot wrong with it. And I was shocked by how much it just really drew me in and grabbed hold of me and kept my attention. Yeah, I, I, th- I think sometimes it is just down to a feeling that a movie gives you. And it's like, you can sit there and, and analyse it and say, well, actually... I, I I can't think of any major criticisms for the film. Mm. So so why am I giving it a four out of five? Mm. And ultimately it just comes down to a feeling. Mm. Some some uh, some movies you can quantify, I guess is the word, the reasons why you feel the way you do, and others you just can't. Um yeah. but yeah, that that's just the way way it goes. Okay, so let's move on to our top five, Brian. So what you remind me once more, what was our top five to be for this month? Well, our top five was feel-good movies. Uh, I, because, like I say, if you look on the posters for this, if you look on the, on the Blu-ray cover, there's, there's that quote, feel-good film of the century, which you know, I, I, I thought was quite a bizarre thing to say about the film. Um, so it got me thinking, what, what are our favourite feel-good movies. Okay, uh, but just, okay, just before, before we... we get into that... 
<laughs> just before we get into that, uh, I do just want to say a little bit of housekeeping, as we always do. If you like what we do here, if you if you if you enjoy listening to our show, um, please do go and give us a rating and a review on iTunes. You you have no idea how much it helps. It does bump us up in the searches when people are looking for new podcasts. Um, you know, the more ratings we have, the more reviews we have, the more likely we are to to, to get seen. So if you enjoy what we do, please do just just take a couple of minutes out of your day just to just to go and do that for us and we will be eternally grateful thanks okay brian now define for yourself what a feel-good movie is for me personally a feel-good film is a film where for the majority of the film's running time you feel happy you you know it makes you laugh it makes it just makes you feel good feel lighter you know you walk away from it feeling lighter um and yeah so to me that's that's why i have the problem that i do with slumdog millionaire being called a feel-good film because so much of it is so heavy and it's like you know just just because andy dufresne gets out of the prison at the end of shawshank redemption does that make it a feel-good movie? You know, after after everything he has to go through. It's still a five-star movie. Of that, there is no doubt. It's still one of the best movies ever made. But is it really a feel-good movie? Mm-hmm. You know? I, I, like, so for me, the, the, the films on my list are films where, for, for, for the majority of those films' running times... I'm feeling pretty happy. I'm feeling pretty good about life. Um, So, yeah, there you go. Well, my my definition is a little bit different from yourself. Um, The feel-good movie for me is something where there's a character that I am connected with in some way who has some arduous task. He's put against unsurmountable odds, has to overcome them even though everything seems to be against him, whether it be a bad guy or just the world pushing him down or something, but he's just this character that you love who just achieves his goal, no matter how small or how large it is, who achieves what he really wants. And that's the kind of movies that I've went for, the kind of things that leave me going like, yeah, that guy did it. He achieved something that he wanted to achieve. Um, So with that in mind... Um, shall we dive straight into number five? You want to go first, Brian? Yeah. I, I, I will just say before I move on, I do recognise that, you know, you can have... Hmm. You can have the Shawshank before the redemption, is, is what I'm saying. You can leave a film like that having a new hope hmm. for life because of the message, and, and, and like you say, because of the connection. Um, it's just... Yeah, just for the sake of my list. I just wanted to clear it up because it's a very um, open-ended top five. You know, whereas we've had stuff before Mm. with the top five Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, that's defined. This is a little bit loosey-goosey for, you know, it's how you define Mm. that question. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I I just want to point out that, you know, I, I, I don't see either my... Or your definition being a definitive definition. It's just, no. you, you know, if, if anyone listening, if you agree with Graham's definition, that's fine. If you agree with mine, that's fine. If you have your own, 
that's fine. Yeah. Um, it's just it it is one of them categories that's like, yeah, it's you know, it's mm-hmm. it's open for debate, isn't it? Um, but for yeah. me, that was that was my parameters. Um, mm-hmm. So, who's going first? You go first. You want me to go first? Okay. Um, so my number five is as good as it gets. Uh, this is the. Uh, the film that won both Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt Oscars, um, and yeah, it, it it makes me feel good just watching it throughout. I like following this character who is deeply flawed, but you still recognise that within him there is this humanity trying to claw its way out. Um, and it's it's just it's like moments in the film where he does things for people mm-hmm. reluctantly and mainly because he's actually trying to get something else mm. but through those acts of kindness those unintentional kindness he he he, he begins to to discover his humanity um so whether it's buying the medical care for helen hunt's um, son, or you know, like he, he does it just so that he can make sure she she's back at work to serve him, you know. Um, but in that moment, he realizes actually how much this matters to her, you know, and it paves the way to to, to him doing other acts of kindness, to realizing that actually to do something like that for someone else, and to see what impact it has in their life can make you feel good you know um mm. it, it can be better it can be the best therapy uh and, and and then this this relationship that he he begins to grow with this next door neighbor of his you know this this gay man who right off the bat he's he's like he's calling him all these you know derogatory names for gay people and he, he just doesn't like him uh, because he's gay but as he gets to know him as he gets to realize that actually this guy is a human being with thoughts with feelings with dreams with passions it, it, he warms to him you know um so yeah really good feel-good film i i come out of it just feeling a bit more hopeful about human beings in general yeah it's been a long while since i've seen that movie brian it's probably mm. one of the check out again my number five is a movie that came out last year actually it's one i've watched a couple of times and it just gives me that warm glow and that movie is sing street it's a story about a young guy who's trying to the woman of his dreams who's trying to discover the person that he is going to be who's trying out different things to find what he wants to do he has a love for music he has a passion for it he has a passion to get to know this woman better I say woman, someone about his age he galvanises the people at school that can help him out, he brings together people that wouldn't normally be friends and they just seem to bounce off each other and it just creates this little family, this great character who you just want to see, you just want to see, you just want to see him on screen, you just want to see him create music, you want to see him trying to woo the women of his dreams, you want to see him bringing together people who have natural differences and even though it leaves you with this kind of very open ending, you just know that this guy is just going to do great things with his life. Um, 
and the music's just toe-tapping and just drives you along. It's so replicant of music that you know, but kind of unique and new at the same time. Um, I don't know if you've seen Sing Street. Fantastic movie. I've actually not seen Sing Street. Now, is this by the director of Once? Yes. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, I've seen Once, and I really loved that film. Thought thought it was absolutely brilliant. Um, so, and I, I I've heard nothing but good things about Sing Street. Um, everyone I know in the YouTube community who's seen it really loves it. Uh, so I I have no doubt that when I get around to watching it, I I probably will do the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but my number four is another musical, Singing in the Rain. Um, for me, probably the ultimate musical. It's, yeah, it's just a vibrant, colourful, wonderful film. Uh, it, you know, I, I, it's got great songs. It's got great dance numbers. Um, I, I, lo- I love the colour of, of the visuals. Everything's like really kind of... It just pops out, mm. yeah. Um, and I and I just love these three core characters that are in it that strike up this relationship, and you know they they work in the movies together, and the, and it's it's just about their friendship and how they won't let anything come between it. You know, we 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 get this actress who is a very powerful actress, and it's you know it's, it's told during the time when movies were moving into the sound era, and this this woman. Kind of, yeah. I mean, I won't go into it too much. If if you've seen Singing in the Rain, you know the story. If if not, go and watch it. But yeah. it's just one of those films where, from start to finish, everything is designed to to keep you lifted up, to keep you on a high, to keep you feeling happy. Um, you know. So e- even the moments of tension in it with this with this actress who's trying to push her weight around, even those moments are humorous. They they still mm. make you feel good. So. Yeah, it's, it's joy on screen pretty much, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas my movies, I like a little bit of downtime before we get that. <laughs> um, I, I want to see my hero just told that he can't do things, which is mm. uh, all about my fourth movie, which is Rocky. I, I'm a big fan of the Rocky series. And it's so very close. Caricature. So close to making my list, it was. I was. I was oof, yeah. Um, but the. As much as the, the, the later versions get into sort of caricatures of the character, or part four, which is pretty much one long montage, the first one actually focuses on the character of Rocky, this down in his luck, um, ex-boxer, kind of tough guy for a lone shark who finds love and a purpose for living and achieves his kind of dream at the end. Um, I, I, I think Rocky's terrific. I've always grown up with Rocky. I love it. You alright there, Brian? Yeah, sorry. I'm just I'm still thinking about my faux pas earlier. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, it did. It came real close to being on my list. Um, it's just, it's just like even though he, even though he doesn't win, it's yeah. such a triumphant ending because Definitely it's not wins. about the winning. Yeah. yeah, it's it's it is. It's a personal victory. It's it's. It's a fantastic film. Another Best Picture Oscar winner. Um, so, yeah. Um, my number three, and this is probably... Well, well, it's not the only one, actually, but it's probably the most dark film on the list in which somebody goes through all manner of things before having the uh, 
triumphant ending. But that's It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, we'll just we'll stop you right there. And I'll just say that my number three is also It's a Wonderful hey, Life. Yeah, it's, you know, it's... Basically, it's... <laughs> It's the it's the only film that I have to watch at Christmas. I watch this every year, and every year it makes me feel good. But there is a lot of darkness before you get there. It, you know, it, it to quote Phoebe and Friends, it, she t- you know she turned it off halfway through, and she said it should have been called a crappy, horrible life, because she doesn't get she doesn't leave it long enough to get to the good stuff. But when it does get to the good stuff, and you start to see. The impact that this that this guy truly had on the lives of those around him, it, it just yeah, you, you can't help but feel on a high after that. It's a movie that's ingrained in, in culture, and I think that's one of the reasons why I have to generally push myself to watch this, um, because you feel like it's familiar. You know the characters. You've seen the story a thousand times. You've seen the pastiches or the parodies or the homages to it in other movies, you feel very familiar with it. And eventually something will trigger you or trigger me to put it on. And when I, once I do, I'm hooked. And I'm like, why did I force myself to watch this? This is terrific. This should be an yeah. easy go-to watch. I forget mm. how good this is. And that ending just leaves you on a high. And it fits my knack of making sure that the, the main character has to have his lows before he gets his highs. Yeah. It's a great movie. So my number two is what I what I think is a really underrated film by a really underrated director. Um, if I did a list of top five directors that I, I feel were underrated, this guy would be very high on it. The director is Mark Foster, and the film is Stranger Than Fiction. Um, if, for me, this is without a doubt Will Ferrell's best film, and I love it. Just absolutely love it. So if you've not seen this film, basically it's Will Ferrell plays this guy who starts hearing this woman, played by Emma Thompson, in his head, narrating everything that he's doing. Um, and it turns out that she's a writer in real life, uh, you know, who, who exists within the world that he exists in, who is currently writing this book. But the book that she's writing is his life. So... At one particular moment, she suddenly mentions the fact that his imminent death is approaching, which obviously freaks him out, because he's like, imminent death? What? What? Um, so, so then he has to try and seek this woman out and convince her not to write his death. Um, so the... the the, the whole thing there is will she or won't she um, as a writer as someone who feels that it's the best thing she's written in a long long time and that it, in order to be true to herself to be true to the piece he has to die at the end um so will she or won't she um so yeah and that and that's kind of the crux of the film but i, I won't spoil it but the ending is just for me so uplifting the film in general is just so it's just really good as well. I just I love this character. I love following him, and I love the character played by Maggie Gyllenhaal. I think her performance in this is really easygoing, really laid back, and I love the chemistry between the two of them. Um, you know, who who would have thought that 
Maggie Gyllenhaal and Will Ferrell as love interests would have been engaging. But for me, it is really engaging. Um, so, yeah, this is just a film I come out of at the end and I just feel really uplifted. And again, I, I just... It's, it's a feel-good film. I, I don't see how anyone could not feel good after seeing this. Hmm. Uh, I've not seen it. Um, it's oh. Always meant to get round to, just never have. It's oh. one of my favourite films. I'll rectify that. Uh, my number two, Brian, is Back to the Future. Okay. Uh, it's a movie that just... It's breezy. It's an easy-going movie. It's a, a nice tale. It encompasses everything that's science fiction. It is back in the 50s. It is, um, it's got the rock music. It's got the the, sci- the the mad scientist. It's got the experiments. It's, it's got Biff Tannen, you know, the, 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 the bad guy that you want to see Marty overcome. And no matter how many times I watch Back to the Future, and I've seen it a lot, it always leaves me with a smell, it always leaves me wanting more, it always makes me want to go back into that world and, and then experience these people again. Um, so it's, it's an easy one for me, an easy feel-good movie. Okay. All right. Uh, well, th- the, the final film on my list, my number one, is, depending on which way you look at it, my second favourite film of all time or my fourth favourite film of all time. Depending on whether you count the Dark Knight trilogy as one or as three. Um, So, yeah, The Truman Show. Um, And I I feel this film has a lot of similarities to the film I've just mentioned, which is Stranger Than Fiction. It has a very similar vibe to it, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, Almost similar story in the sense that you've got one person controlling another person's life, the direction they take, almost like God. Um, and you know it's a story about how that person breaks out of that uh, how they find their own way so to speak Um, but yeah for for me if you want to talk triumphant moments in cinema and I'm assuming you've watched Truman Show yeah Yeah, Yeah. Um, if if you don't want the ending of Truman Show ruining then skip a few minutes but the most triumphant, one of the most triumphant moments in cinema for me is just that moment when he steps through the door, when he steps into the unknown, when he breaks out of the comfort and the safety of the world he knows into one that he doesn't, because he would rather live life as a free man than a lab rat. Um, and you see the reaction on the faces of all the people watching the TV, um, all these people who've followed him throughout his entire life, and just the excitement as he steps through that door and as as he delivers his his famous line, you know, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, good and good night, and the music swells, really amazing piece of music. The music throughout the film actually is fantastic. Um, but yeah, for me, it's one of my favourite moments in all of cinema, just seeing Truman step through that door. And like I say, the the whole film as well, even though there's some sinister stuff going on, because, you know, essentially this guy, this guy is, is being controlled and he doesn't know it. Everything about his life 
is a lie. Even his own wife and, and the... Man, the tragedy in that, you know? It's the... It's, it, 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 in many ways, it is quite a dark film. It's quite a sinister film. But the colour palette is all these kind of pastels, these these nice bright colours. The, the the comedy element that is in there. So while on the one hand these things are sinister, that Peter Weir, the director, um, he finds these ways of of bringing lightness to them, of bringing comedy to situations. So you know, you think about his wife. The way she's always advertising products, you know, and it's like at one point Truman's like, "Who are you talking to? Who is that for?" Um, but so yeah, so all these ways that a sinister story is turned into something quite light, quite breezy, quite funny, um, and then again, you get to the end, you want to see Truman escape, and when he does, when he takes that those steps. It's just one of the most uplifting moments I can think of. Um, like we said, I mean, we're talking about what we think is feel-good movies. I've said I like to see my main character tore down to try and almost snuff him out before he, he, he gets to the, the sort of rising high at the end of the movie. And as we've mentioned this movie several times, I am going to say that my number one is The Shawshank Redemption. Mm, yeah, and, I, and, and I, I, the reason that I like it, the reason I think it's feel good for me, is because I see the movie as something about hope and will. You know, Andy mm. Dufresne's hope that there's going to be a better place. His will not to let this this incarceration bring him down. He's going to make the best of the situation that he has. He has that will and determination to try and make things better for him and for his other inmates while he's there. Well, all the time hanging on to this hope that he's going to get to the place where he wants to be. And it may not be a huge victory, uh, working on a boat or on, on a beach, but it is a victory, and it's a very positive one that, that shows that determination, hope, will, and all these things are, are encapsulated in that movie for me. And yes, it has some very low lows, but I think it needs it just to show how they can't break him down. Even though he comes mm. close, they, they never quite manage it. He, he strives, well, he that's a, where a lot of the feel-good factor comes in, though, isn't it? It's the fact that this man never folds. He never breaks. The whole, the whole time, he always finds ways, not only to, to hope for himself, but to bring hope into the prison. You know, I, I think of the moment when he plays the music and he locks himself in the office and plays the music through the tannoy, and you're like... You're looking at all these other characters and the, and the hope they feel in that moment that he's given to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a really wonderful moment. I, I was so so close to bring to putting Shawshank Redemption on my list, and I think when when I was when I was trying to define for myself what a feel good film is, mm-hmm. I think I was trying to look for films that had as little darkness in them as possible. And I'm not sure that that was the right way to go, to be honest, because even looking at the films I've chosen, you know, It's a Wonderful Life. There's a lot of darkness in that film. Um, But... Ah, to heck with it. I want to rewrite my list. I want to put Shawshank Redemption on there. Seriously, I... Yeah, it is too late. But, you know, I I stand by my decision for The Truman Show just because, like I say... 
it is my second or fourth favourite film, depending on which way you look at it. And every time I watch it, it, it just, it, it does lift me up. But Shawshank Redemption, man, yeah, it's absolutely has to be... If you're talking about feel-good movies, despite all the Shawshank that, that there is in that, there is a lot of redemption. There is a lot in there about hope, about freedom, um, about truth. Um, and again, you know, not to not to call it out, a lot of biblical stuff in there that if you, if you want to read it into. Uh, it's not, that's not just me. Uh, if you, Mark Kermode wrote a book on the thing when he uh, he talked about a lot of the religious elements that are in the film. Um, you know, you think about Andy Dufresne crawling through all the crap at the end in the sewage, and then he he's washed all, all that all that crap. You know, that's that's his crucifixion, and it's and it's washed. It's washed away by the rain. He's stood there in the crucifixion pose as this rain washes all this crap off him. You know, and that that's that's his resurrection. Um, so yeah, it's. It's, it is a great film. It's a re really good, feel-good film. Um, but I, I will stand by my list. I, I am happy with the happy with the choices that I made, though there is a tinge of regret. <laughs> okay, so we'll move on to the next episode. So, uh, as a pair of the new things that we're doing, we I have got five shortened and slightly altered synopses for you to choose from. Start to take out one by one now. What I've picked is the thrilling 80s. I have picked thrillers from the 80s that I have... You in the 80s? ...that I have never seen. Okay, okay. So, I have no preference here. I am happy to watch any of these. Um, you may have seen them. I have not, mm -hmm. so I can't lean towards one or the other. So I'm quite curious about... I think this is the first time I've picked a movie that I've never seen before. So... I'll run through the short synopsis I have here. So, one, an obsessed cop will break the law to hunt down the man who killed his partner. Mm -hmm. I think I might know what that is. But... Okay. Number two, a career criminal who has the sights set on a normal life is forced into another job by the mafia. Number three... A college student returning home to a small town discovers the dark secrets that are hidden beneath its surface. Number four. A secret fling between a man and his mistress leads to blackmail and murder. And number five. A young actor's obsession with a beautiful woman leads to a baffling series of events with drastic consequences. Read me number two and number five again. Number two, a career criminal who has his sights set on a normal life is forced into another job by the mafia. And number five, a young actor's obsession with a beautiful woman leads to a baffling series of events with drastic consequences. A young actor's obsession with a woman. Read that again. I... <laughs> A young actor's obsession with a beautiful woman that leads to a baffling series of events with drastic consequences. Now, it should be said, I haven't seen these movies, so these synopsis mm. could be completely wrong. <laughs> right, okay. 
I've got a feeling that number th number three. No, I've got a feeling number three is body heat. Wow, um, that is absolutely incorrect. Okay, okay. Um, and I've got a feeling that number one is black rain. Wow, that's too wrong. Right, <laughs> okay. In that case, hmm. Oh, man. I, I might have to ip-dip this because... And I'll tell you this, uh, four of them are by, are by extremely prominent directors. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, man. Would one of those directors happen to be Michael Mann? Possibly. Oh, man. This is tough. Um, oh, oh, quick, quickly read him again. Quickly read him. Okay. Number one, an obsessed cop will break the law to hunt down the man who killed his partner. Number two, a career criminal has his sights set on a normal life is forced into another job by the mafia. Number three, a college student returning home to a small town discovers the dark secrets that are hidden beneath its surface. Number four, a secret fling between a man and his mistress leads to blackmail and murder. And number five, a young actor's obsession with a beautiful woman leads to a baffling series of events with drastic consequences. Number two. Number two is uh, out. So that movie was Michael Mann's Thief. No, number two is what I voted for. Number two is what you're choosing? Yeah, number two is what I was choosing. Oh, I thought you were taking it out one by one there, Brian. No. Okay, well then um, you have you have chosen thief. Well, that's that's excellent because and and I did I did, I did kind of that's where I was angling when I asked if, is is one Michael Mann, I was angling for that primarily because I've never seen it. Okay, so this is going to be a first for us then. Yeah, first for both of us. I don't own it either, so I, I'm going to have to buy it. Um, but, uh, yeah, okay, looking forward to that one actually because I'm a huge Michael Mann fan and that's I think there's two of his films I've not seen. One is The Keep and one is Thief and I really want to see both of them. Excellent. So would um, you like to know what you eliminated? Yes, please. Number one was To Live and Die in L.A. Oh, see, I, I, ah, I had a very sneaking suspicion. Because when I asked about Michael Mann, and you said, it could be, I, I was then going to ask, and would one, of the, would one of the other ones happen to have been directed by... Uh, and then I couldn't think of his name, but the guy who did The Exorcist. William um, Friedkin. William Friedkin, so, yeah. Uh, but, number uh, three was Blue Velvet by David Lynch. Oof. Yeah, I don't fancy that much, i got to say. I'm glad I didn't go with that. Uh, number four was 52 Pickup. Never it's heard just, of it. It's just one I fancied. And number five <laughs> is uh, Body Double by Brian De Palma. Oh, Body Double, not Body Heat. What an... <laughs> <laughs> I knew it had Body in the title. Oh, man. Yeah. And, and can we go for the easy option and go for our top five Michael Mann movies? Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, I've, I, I'll, I'll go back and look at the video that I did on my channel about the top five Michael Mann movies. Um, yes, and um, so. if you remember, we will link that next month in the video. Uh, just now, if they okay. want to find it, they're going to have to go to your channel and go through all your videos until they get to that one, Brian. Mm -hmm. So what yeah. have you been doing on your channel recently? Uh, well, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm tackling two directors at the moment. So I'm working my way through all of Stanley Kubrick's movies. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a bit of highbrow material there. You know, a thinking man's filmmaker, you might say. So I thought, you know, I, I, I'd also work my way through all of Zack Snyder's movies. <laughs> now, I, I say that in jest primarily because I know how most people feel about Zack Snyder. But as we've... I've stated many times before on this podcast, I actually really like Zack Snyder, and I think that a lot of his movies have quite a lot in them um, mm. that that go that gets missed because people, I I think choose to miss it. Um, so yeah, so I thought you know Zack Snyder and uh, Stanley Kubrick, I will I will delve into them. So I'm currently reviewing all of their movies. Mm. Excellent. Um, and that's on Brian Lomax's movie talk. And on my channel, Man vs. Film, I've been delving in recently to a lot of Netflix original movies, which seems to be very hit and a miss. Um, with the, the lack of constraints that Netflix are putting on filmmakers, some of them seem to take to it, like a, a duck to water, while other ones seem to get caught up with their every whim that they want to include in the movies. So some of them can be... It's a bit of a slog to get through and some of them can be absolutely marvellous. Um, but you can find more of them on my channel. Um, is that us, Brian? Anything else? That's it. That's it. So remember to come back next month and see our review of Thief. And of course, every Monday we will have a, a, a Next Files Revisited episode up, which is going very smoothly. We're getting closely now towards the end of season one which will be uh, very interesting indeed so thanks for listening and we'll see you next month on Brits on Flicks
I'm just putting some funny interlude music here. The girl from Okay, here goes. That voice is none other than... What's her name? Meryl Streep. Nope. The the British Meryl Streep. The... Fantastic actress whose name has just escaped my head. Oh, what? <sighs> the medical care for this this character played by Helen Cunt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Man alive! <laughs> My goodness! Oh, please don't put that on as a uh, as a. Oh man, that was a Freudian slip if ever there was one. Oh, good grief! I think you've just got a new ringtone for your phone, Brian. Oh man, can we please rewind? Um, oh, good grief! Where was I? So you were talking about Jack Dickelson and. Uh, <laughs> Man, that's thrown me. That's totally thrown me. Um, okay, let me try and get back to that. Um, 
balls. She was in Last Chance Harvey. She was in Emma. She was in... Emma Thompson. Love Act. Emma Thompson. Thank... Oh, flipping it. I'll start again. You're going to have to edit this out. <laughs> OK, where was I? Um... Um, starts hearing this voice who's narrating his life and the narrator is so yeah